everybody welcome to clappercast episode 81 i am your host carson tamar we have a big episode we're getting through today we have big movies we have army of thieves the beta test antlers last night in soho and we also have our first week of charlie chaplin versus buster keaton but before we get to any of that let's introduce our iconic a-list cast of hosts you know them i know you love them we have Alina Falds and Paul Price. How are you guys doing this fine morning? I'm Excellent. good. I uh, <laughs> I did a Halloween party last night, and um, I decided to dye my hair, and I was like really scared. So I bought like the the only three shades lighter from L'Oreal, and then I did it, and it just looks good instead of like being like radically different. And so all my friends were like, "Oh, you should." Keep- keep this up and I was like this was not thank you but also this was not what I was planning to do um so now I'm a blonde it, it does it look John, good though yeah, yeah it does look good um uh but I was uh John Constantine um which apparently a lot more people know than I was expecting usually I try to choose one that everyone's like what but this one I like it was at the bar last night people were like Constantine I was like cool it makes you feel better. I had um, no idea like, who that was. I had no clue. But like, I do, <laughs> but only because like I used to be really into Supernatural and a lot of people would like confuse Castiel and Constantine costumes. So that's how I know who Constantine is. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Uh, yeah, I will yeah. be showing you guys at some point um, the DC AMU, which I think is better than any of the other superhero universes. Um and that uh, was, he's like one of the main stars of it. And that's kind of how, like, I knew about him, but that was how I became like a huge fan. I even have a Funko Pop of him. I paid $60 for it. Holy it, shit. Was like a, it was like a, uh, like a Comic-Con exclusive. And mm-hmm. I became a fan of him after. And I was like, you know what? Sometimes you just need a $60 Funko Pop. Um, so he's like my favorite one. I can't judge because I buy stupid shit all the time. I have the disposable income. Oh, oh no, this um, wasn't stupid shit. This was cool, but <laughs> I understand what, are you, what, trying to say what are you trying to say about the Toby Keith DVDs, Paul? Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I was stupid actually, shit, and I acknowledge yeah. it. Um, yeah, no, I mean, we all can't buy beer for horses for a hundred dollars. <laughs> it was seventy. <laughs> to be clear, it was seventy dollars. Um. I have done nothing significant since we recorded our Halloween special a couple of days ago. So I have no news. I did not do anything for Halloween um, because I have no friends in my area. So like, what's the point of dressing up to just like sit alone in my house? I'm good. So I did in fact watch Beer for My Horses with my dad last night and that was our Halloween. I, um, <laughs> <Bleak. laughs> I, I don't usually dress up for Halloween. Um, but when I do, I go all out and for some reason this year, like my friend told me about a week before that it was Halloween. So I just kept like, I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. I'll just buy, you know, I'll do the Constantine outfit, which is basically like a trench coat, a white shirt and a red tie. I was like, I'll do this. And then like Mm -hmm. two minutes later, I'd be like, oh, you know what? I should also 
uh, buy some blood makeup. You know, that'll fit his outfit. And then I was like, and I should buy cigarettes. And then all of a sudden, like the costume's like $250. And I was like, well, <laughs> this is what I've done. What are you doing, Carson? Do you have any fun Halloween plans? Are you trick-or-treating? No, so just like Alina, I don't really do much. I think actually I am going to a party tonight, so I might buy like face paint, but that's not confirmed. Really, I'm just going to go watch Memoria <laughs> for a second time. That's really my plan for today is I'm going to go see Memoria for the second time because I hate this movie and it, the screening failed on me like an hour in. So not to sit through an hour of Memoria that I've already seen and I didn't like. Then I've sit through another hour of Memoria, which I probably won't like, but I haven't seen at least. So no, I, I really live a sad life, I guess. Um, but today, let's get into our films because we can't talk about how sad we are forever. Um, that would be a very different podcast. Um, let's start off. We have some unfinished business. Somehow, already in our young history of us doing this podcast, we had Army of the Dead come out earlier this year. Now we have Army of Thieves. The sequel, it's a prequel, but sequel, second film in the franchise. Um, and I will start, I guess, because I hated Army of the Dead. If you remember that episode and go back and listen, if you haven't, you know, we had had fun for a year, catch up on old episodes. Um, I was not a fan of that film. I thought it was rather boring. Didn't like, I don't think any of us were big fans. I think Alina liked it because Batista, but other than that, like, I don't think any of us really liked that film. Zack Snyder yeah. and him don't really vibe. So Army of Thieves was not excited for um, but I ended up liking it, not like loving it. I don't think it's great, it, but like it is watchable in comparison to Army of the Dead. Um, I like a lot of the lore. It basically takes the character, the safe cracker from the first film and you see him before and he goes out with this group of people to like solve like really intense locks throughout the world. And like, if you accidentally like mess up, it burns what's inside. And like, I don't know, the lore was fun to me. I think he's a really great actor. He's also the director here, not necessarily the best director in the world, but like, I think the character really shines. It's really watchable. It's quite enjoyable like it's not good I wouldn't even really recommend you check it out but like you know what compared to the first film I'm okay with this I could watch this I couldn't sit through Army of the Dead so that's positive I guess yeah I, I feel pretty much the same as Carson like Army of the Dead was just not for me and I only sat through it because of this podcast and I have to like I try and support everything that like Batista does because like I've been a fan of his since like August 2007. Um, like, but Army of Thieves, it's like solid as a standalone film, but I don't like it in connection to like Army of the Dead because I think it's just like silly the way they do it because this is like a prequel of sorts and like it's very much like a heist movie which like I enjoy a good heist movie. I thought the heists were fun, like with the safes and the banks and whatever. But then like the way they try and connect it to Army of the Dead is so stupid. Like I get that the main character of this movie is like on the team in Army of the Dead, but then in Army of Thieves, they just like randomly say like, oh, like look at the news. There's some zombie shit going along on in the US. Like that's kind of spooky. And that's it. Like they just like randomly mention that like the zombie thing is starting to happen and then like nothing else. Like you guys could have just like not done this and had it like be a standalone film. Like the connection is like not good enough to justify the connection to me. Yeah, no, I hated this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, there was a show on a couple of years back called Leverage. And this like just felt like watching episodes of that. But Leverage at least had like some like actors that I liked. Um, 
this I really struggled with um, the the standout secondary character of Army of the Dead being given a you know full prequel to himself plus allowing that guy to direct the movie all of his like cute quirks in the original one um i even wrote you guys at the beginning i was like oh i'm sad that you know spoilers for army of the dead he apparently dies although spoilers alert for um a press release um apparently he's not dead and he's going to be in the next one um which I guess will be like the big surprise. He's locked in the vault. It actually makes sense when you retroactively think about it. You're like, oh, of course, he's locked in the vault, exploded so he could survive. I just had nothing that I really connected to with this movie. I found everyone really boring. Mm-hmm. Um, the The problem with these this specific heist movie is it always goes to the same vault. And I didn't find the vaults to be like, they were pretty realistic which isn't as fun as I was expecting. I was expecting like real kind of like, you know, um, Indiana Jones-ish almost kind of vaults where it's like he's solving riddles and, you know, all these like puzzles and things. And there's like multiple rooms or something like that. No, it's literally just, he gets to it. It's another box. It has a story related to it, which I guess was kind of cool, but like, he's just telling the stories. I think that would have been like a real great part to like throw in an animated sequence or something. To just give mm-hmm. you something. He's just like staring at a box and he's like, and here's the story of the Valkyries. And I was like, oh, okay. By like the third time, uh, Nathalie Emanuel's like rolling her eyes and stuff. And I'm like, yes, I'm the same way. I'm not like vibing with this at all. Um, the animation sequences where he's like opening it was really cool once, but they don't change between them, all three of them. So like, I just the repetition of this like really started to kill me. Um, mm-hmm. Also, I just wish I just wish the secondary characters had been more fleshed out. Um, I really felt like they just wanted to do a safe cracker movie and then added a team, and all of them just kind of were there. Especially the driver had like very little personality. He felt like he was from like two thousand two, of just like. And then there's the driver character who will say three witty lines and then not really appear in the story. But I also get why people would like it. Um, I also, I think, was the most positive on Army of the Dead, even though I didn't like it. Um, mm-hmm. I just found, like, I thought that the uh, concept of, like, smarter zombies and everything was interesting. And I do wish it had something to do with this other than being a prequel. Um because what now there's going to be three movies plus a TV show for this. I just don't find this world that particularly interesting yet. Um, I think that they could get there, but currently it's just feels very Netflixy right now. Yeah. I'm like spoilers for army of the dead, but like since Batista's dead, I'm like, I don't care anymore. Like what's the point? Why should I continue? (laughs) Yeah. It's also just a weird, like, even conceptually, because like I, the, I don't see any fans of Army of the Dead liking this based on like genre or tone or style, because it's just it's completely different. And it is a standalone project that just casually references like zombies breaking out. So it's like, well, if you're putting this mm-hmm. together as a franchise, I don't think number one this adds anything to the first film. 
I don't think it works in conjunction to the other film. If you were to play them back to back, they feel completely different. I just really don't understand. I, I feel like they just like the character on set and they're like, well, we got to make, instead of giving him like an original project or anything, they're like, at least this will get more eyes on it. And I guess maybe they hope this will keep the franchise more relevant, but I, I don't know. I'm not here for it. I'm not here for Planet of the Dead, but like, I don't know. I really think in this, you have to view this as just being its own separate thing. And if you do that, I think it's like passably good. Not even great, but like passable. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, you know yeah. what's not passably? Oh, you know what's not passable is Jim Cummings. And I will say that. And I'm not afraid to. <laughs> Let's talk about the beta test. I don't want to talk about this film, but y'all were like, we have to talk about Jim Cummings. And then y'all were like, oh, he's hot. And then y'all just like continue to give the worst takes I've ever heard in my life. Like this is worse than Lamb. I hate Jim Cummings. I'm going to give this opening bit and I don't think I'm going to say anything else this segment because I have nothing to say. I hate Jim Cummings. Thunder Road, good. He then continued. Number one, he's ugly. Let's just get that out of the way. So he's not hot. Incorrect. But he made Thunder Road. Good. I like Thunder Road. I'm a big fan of Thunder Road. Then he gives The Wolf of Snow Hollow. And by that point, I was like, damn, this fucking gimmick is annoying when it comes to like his acting, his performance, his mannerisms. He is annoying. Not to mention that in real life, he is annoying. I think he's like stands as the worst side of film right now in film Twitter. He abuses film Twitter, but then film Twitter is like so fucking hungry just to be noticed by someone on screen. They're like, we love you, Jim. I know you followed all of us and then unfollowed all of us just for PR, but we love you, Jim. And they're all just sitting there loving him when he's just treating them like shit, but he does the same gimmick. Wolf of Snow Hollow is a bad film. It's not funny. It's annoying. And I don't even, I think it's kind of problematic, but we can touch on that another day. Actually, I think we'd already did on the podcast. So the beta test, is Jim Cummings going to evolve everyone? Is he going to give something different than just the annoying Jim Cummings character? No, but is he going to add it to a (laughs) weirdly like, like weirdly like not political, but like, It is about Hollywood culture. It's about toxic Hollywood culture. This is the same culture that causes real harm. There's a lot of like real serious themes in this. But then at the same time, like it's just Jim Cummings acting like a fucking moron, not being funny. So you have like this horribly misplaced tone for a story that ultimately feels weirdly problematic, but also weirdly serious. But then you just have Jim Cummings acting like an unfunny clown throughout all of it. The acting is bad. The screenplay is atrocious. It doesn't go anywhere. It is badly made. Here's what makes me mad. Jim Cummings is not all around a shit actor. He's not a shit filmmaker. He made Thunder Road. He could do shit. And then he puts in the fucking least effort for every fucking project and gives the same bullshit every time. Be good, Jim Cummings. Don't go through the fucking motions. Um, so this is actually my favorite of Jim Cummings' movies. Um, I think that <laughs> Thunder Road is very bad. I think that uh, Wolf of Snow Hollow is very boring. Um, but he didn't write this. And he didn't, like, he wrote it, but he co-wrote it. And then he didn't fully direct this. He co-directed it um, with PJ McCabe. And I think the parts that PJ is doing, I like. I think I'm vibing with a lot more. Not to be Grace Randolph with Jessica Chastain, but I think a villain really suits his personality um, a lot better than playing like a noble hero, um, which is what he usually plays. Um, 
I kind of liked his smarminess in this. Um, and I was actually expecting to like this movie all the way to the third act. And then the third act, you can definitely tell, is what um, Jim wrote. And all of a sudden, it gets into his weird, um, overly talky, overly explained, but also really hard to understand kind of plotting um, to where I, I could not tell you what happened at the end of this movie. Like, I watched it three times, and people, are, people who like this movie are going to be like, it was so obvious. I, fine. <laughs> it's so over described but at the same time is so hard to like really lock into what he's trying to say that I just like kept zoning out and not really paying attention at all um he's really struggles with his endings and I think all three of his movies have struggled with the endings um Alina I know you'll talk about it in a second but during your binge, like almost every time when you'd get to the ending, you were like, wait, what? <laughs> this really happened? Um, so, uh, yeah, I think um, I think this was, uh, uh, to me, I'm in the exact opposite Carson. It was the first time I was like, okay, maybe he'll be able to do something. Like, I feel like he needs to move out of the indie world and move into like a Blumhouse-y kind of like, culture where he's allowed to do some stuff but mostly has like a producer who's like a creative producer who kind of reigns in his worser aspects because I think that he does have some skills um but I think being an auteur is not for him I don't know I really struggle with Jim Cummings because I do I thought he was really cool on film Twitter and then I watched his movies and then I was like oh nope Nope, this isn't for me. Um, and then his film Twitterness kind of got to me. But like, I think there's a lot of people that get to me on film Twitter who there's stuff I do like, and I allow them to get away with it. Um, although, actually, thinking about it, that's not true. <laughs> that's not the case, Ellen. Um, <laughs> if someone <laughs> is annoying on film Twitter, I do dislike their stuff more. Um, looking at you, Scott Derrickson, <laughs> um, who like, there are a lot of even TV. Um, don't be on film Twitter. Like if you're someone in film, avoid that. It doesn't help you at all. It just makes me dislike you. And I know that's really important to you. <laughs> you can go ahead, Alina. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Jim Cummings, if you're still listening to this episode of Claffercast, I'm so sorry, King. I love you don't listen to them um okay so like my backstory with Jim Cummings is I have none other than like three <laughs> to four days ago <laughs> because like I feel like the our fellow clapper people I know all don't like Jim Cummings um like I was on the Wolf of Snow Hollow episode and I didn't like watch it at the time because I was like it was twenty dollars to rent it and I was like I'm not doing that I'm so sorry um but then like I had no plans to ever watch his like movies because like I don't even follow him but he just like did kind of come across as like a bit annoying and then I got sent the beta test and I was like oh my gosh I got sent a movie um and then I was like 
I should probably watch his like other two movies. So I watched the Thunder Road short film, then I watched Thunder Road, and then the next day I watched Wolf of Snow Hollow, and the next day I watched the beta test. So like I had like Jim Cummings was my guy this week. Um, I really enjoyed Thunder Road, except for like that one thing that happens in the end. And I don't want to spoil it, but like I feel like everybody who has seen it knows what we're talking about. Um, and then I also really liked Wolf of Snow Hollow because I thought it was a really interesting take on like true crime and like monster movies. I had fun with it. Um, and then I got to the beta test and it just like didn't do it for me. And I feel like it's because like the satire just didn't work for me. Um, like it was fine. I feel like the same as Paul, like I kind of like vibe with it. And then as it like kept going, it just like stopped being my thing and it just started getting confusing. But I liked that he was an unlikable character and whatever. Sorry, my cat is playing, playing with foam right now and he's being very annoying. Stop. Um, I'm trying to save you from know. these bad I just, opinions. Like, I just like, I'm allowed to like him. I think he's really fun and cute. I'm excited for his next movie. Like this one in particular wasn't like my vibe, but I liked his other tune. I feel like I still like respect him as like an actor and a filmmaker. I feel like he's fine and he gets a lot of hate for no reason. Like if I was trying to promote a movie, I'd unfollow everybody on film Twitter too. Cause some controversy. Do it. I respect it. And like I wasn't on film Twitter when he did that. So like <laughs> I never got unfollowed by Jim Cummings. He didn't follow me in the first place. That's my that's my take. But yeah, the movie's fine. Carson's a hater. Um, yeah, no, uh, I don't know. I feel like within a lot of these, like, kind of indie filmmakers, um, they really struggle with figuring out, like, what to showcase, because I think mm -hmm. he's got some talent in multiple areas, but I don't know if all three work together, especially, um, I think his first two, I don't think this one he was like part of the editing team, which is my biggest like red flag if I'm looking at movies, especially indie films. Mm -hmm. If the director is also the editor, it's a nightmare. Um, most movies- Already trying like to get it. your Chaplin hate out on here, but okay. Uh, Fine. Um, I think Buster <laughs> did too. So, you know, whatever. Um, it was also the twenties, but I'm just saying like editing is a lot more important than people think. And I feel like to save a couple bucks, they're like, I'll just edit it myself. Well, an editor knows when something's fucking boring. Um, you know, as the son of an editor, I feel like it's one of the things mm -hmm. whenever we're about to talk about a movie where um, an editor needed to go through and lop the entire film in half and instead they let it just drag on. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that there was a potential for positive uh, kind of aspects to it, but uh ultimately didn't work but I did like the satire um in terms of like the LA stuff there was parts where um you know what I actually did like a lot of this movie I mean I still gave it a two and a half star and I will stick with that because if you can't stick the landing on these kind of movies but I did like mm -hmm. the satire I did like the kind of mystery of like why are these people being killed by their spouses um and I did like when he'd like mildly try to be like you know um a, like detective like a veronica mars but just isn't good at it um was like kind of funny to me um mm -hmm. but yeah i just think uh it it really fails at the end because ultimately like especially with the mystery um same thing i had problems with with um army of thieves 
is like if you don't have a cool reveal at the end of the night why did i watch this movie um if i could kind of like vibe out and actually the next movie we're about to talk about um if i can vibe out the ending by the halfway mark um then i'm frustrated like why did why is this a story that we're watching so true bestie (laughs) (laughs) and before we go any further let's hear a word about the sponsor for today's episode And my friends, that is the Star Draft. Hollywood's award season is right around the corner, and that means another season of Star Draft is upon us. Star Draft turns Hollywood's award season into fantasy football. You draft actors and musicians, they win accolades throughout the award season, and your team earns points. This year, the Star Draft is hoping to sign up their thousandth user, and if they do, they're going to give away $1,000 in cash prizes. So join a league today and spread the word. Even we at Clappercast have a league that you can join on the site's public leagues page. So sign up today, battle it out with me, Alina, and Paul. Just look up Clappercast on the website, and that is at thestardraft.com. Once again, thestardraft.com. And may the anoms be ever in your favor. Okay, well, enough about the beta test. Enough about redacted. I won't even say his name anymore. Uh, Lena, why don't you take it away with him? You know what? I love Scott Cooper. I think Scott Cooper is a great director. I think he's a great filmmaker. And I was excited for Antlers. But Lena, take it away. What were your thoughts on Antlers? <laughs> I was really excited. I thought you were just taking away her like intro. <laughs> you were like, she's like, I want to do the intro for Antlers. And you're like, sure, I'm going to do it though. <laughs> I'm going to let you finish, but... Hold on, my cat is chewing on foam again. Stop. I will let you finish, but Scott Cooper is one of the greatest directors of all time. Um, I have not seen any of his other movies, according to Letterboxd. So, like, Antlers was my first experience with a, a Scott Cooper film. I don't even know who he is. But, like, I thought this was going to be interesting because you don't often see, like, horror films or, like, films in general about like the Wendigo and also I was like bopping around Twitter after this movie and apparently a lot of like indigenous people that believe in the Wendigo don't like hearing that name so if that is you you should probably like skip our little talk on antlers so that's just a warning for y'all um so yeah antlers is a slow burn horror film um that's about this small young child I think he was like 12 um his name's Lucas and he is like mad skinny he's like just this weird little kid sitting in class his teacher is like mildly concerned about him because like she thinks he's being abused and whatever uh Lucas's dad is like a meth addict and like sells meth and whatever and um as the film like goes through its opening Lucas like comes to his house and his dad is like turning into a Wendigo and his little brother is also sick and it's just very weird the way they like handle the Wendigo lore um as the like film continues there's like themes of like trauma and abuse and addiction and then like the Wendigo stuff is like smushed in there and it just really did not work for me just based on like the extremely limited knowledge I have of like Algonquin myths and like Wendigo lore like it's just very like it felt super appropriative to me and I feel like I would have liked this movie a lot better if it wasn't a Wendigo like we were talking on Friday after we all saw it like in our group chat and we were saying like this probably would have been better 
if it was like just a werewolf or something like it just gives me the ick um and I haven't like studied the background of every single person involved in this film but it doesn't seem like there's any like indigenous people involved in it except for like the one actor that tells Jesse Plemons like the Wendigo lore and like we can touch on it more later because I did some research on it but what did you guys think of Antlers? Yeah no um I really struggled with this movie because I so with a lot of films like this I always try to imagine the whole process of how the movie was made and I really feel like somewhere in here was a fire script just like really really good and then like a little change here and a little change there and then all of a sudden we're stuck with whatever this movie is um like my biggest problem with it is there's a scene that happens at the opening with um the old Wendigo and then it jumps three weeks later and then later we flash back to what happened in those three weeks those three weeks should have been like a majority of the film because like that is like you know body horror the fly kind of like shit that's like really scary whatever was going on with uh carrie russell and jesse plemons i could not give a shit about like i have never been so uninterested with the plight of characters because everything she did, she was just getting herself involved in things that she didn't need to be. And then everyone mm -hmm. else who got involved also just randomly, like <laughs> if they had left well enough alone, this kid would have been like in bad shape living alone. But like everyone else in the town who dies, it's all Carrie, uh, Carrie Russell's fault, uh, her character. Like <laughs> she legitimately lets, uh, you know, leads this woman to go let the Wendigo out. Um, she, like, there's just so many things that she does that, like, cause problems. Um, mm -hmm. it, continually bringing the kid home uh, with them. It just, it was, like, one of those films where I was, like, what is this story supposed to be? Um, and I just really felt like if, uh, when I was talking earlier about an editor, if an editor and like a better screenwriter or stronger screenwriter had come through on this, I think there was a cool movie. Um, but also to your point, Alina, this isn't like, this isn't the Wendigo at all, um, which is fine, but like it could have just been any sort of like forest spirit. And I think it would have been okay. I don't know why you need to like, uh, nobody's seeing this movie because it's the Wendigo movie, you know? Um, and I think that that's, weird to like jump into a different culture just to be like oh we're using this even though we're not using it's the same as like when people um like in the 2000s used to do like superhero movies um and they'd be like oh we're using the name of this character but it's not that character we're doing our own thing with it and you're like well then why are you doing it like just <laughs> like it, have mm -hmm. it be its own thing um which i know is a weird like uh comparison but i think it like will stick with people a lot more than uh, kind of like abstract but Carson what do you think yeah I was quite disappointed by this I mean I mentioned I love Scott Cooper and like I used to say like oh Scott Cooper never misses yeah he probably missed with this one there's really two sides of the film there is everything with the adults and everything with like let's just say the horror or the child or whatever you want to say everything with the adults I was really vibing with uh, not to get fully into like my life but like I saw a lot of parallels with the relationship I have with my older sister 
Um, and it was just, it was a really like personal story for me, weirdly, which I was not expecting from Antlers. So I was like really vibing with that, vibing with this look at trauma, vibing with like trying to find closure in the face of trauma. But then you also have the horror. And then I was like, well, this isn't very good. I mean, you mentioned the issues with the Wendigo. I just also think it's like not well done. I think the catalyst is very, very confusing. They introduce this as like, oh, it's fighting for nature. It's for nature. But then also like none of the characters are doing anything to hurt nature. So it's like, why? Why not just make one of them like a miner? That would make a lot more sense. But no, none of them are. Like one is using a mine to make meth, but that's not enough. Um, and I was just very bored by a lot of that. I think the reveal of a certain character and like a physical appearance, let's say, comes way too early into the film because it does have this weird pacing issue with everything of the with everything the adults are doing is happening very slow. It's a very brooding, slow reveal. The monsters revealed very, very quickly. And then you get to like the actual deaths and like the actual big moments of horror. And they just feel boring. Like there is one death, like sequences of deaths here where you actually see the deaths. And it's the same thing like five times. And the first time it was already boring, but then it just like, it just gets more and more boring as it goes. Um, it just really is unfortunate. It's such a mess. And we've talked about multiple films on here. Like what do delays, what did the COVID pandemic really do to the film? We talked about how the Green Knight ultimately seems like it got hurt in the editing room because they just reworked it for all of COVID. Eventually, they just lost the path they were on. I feel like Antlers, you could probably say the same thing about. Um, I get why this was originally going to be dumped in like February, I think was the original release. It's just not good in really any way. To your point with like the horror, um, I actually laughed aloud, not trying to be a like a cunt in the movie. Um, Cause I hate laughing in horror movies. Um, but sometimes if something hits me as funny, it's funny. And there's a reveal of the creature. And <laughs> um, this is mild spoilers. So skip like a minute, uh, but it's wearing the dad's face, which already, if you watched the scene, when he becomes the Wendigo, his face got ripped apart by antlers. So he has no face. So it was just like, skin and I like imagined for a second that this Wendigo creature like picked up the skin pieces and put it back together to do this one reveal to immediately pull it off because I was like wait that is that like and I lost my mind and it was like you know supposed to be the scariest part of this movie and I was tackling <laughs> um but yeah it felt very like um old video gamey um oh that was the other thing that I thought was really interesting I don't know, Carson, have you ever played Until Dawn? I know you're a bit of a gamer. No, I'm not a, wait, I'm not a gamer. I don't play video games, FYI. I've oh. never heard of that one. Oh, you look like a gamer. Um. That's the rudest <laughs> thing you've ever said to me. Um, so uh, I'm like a gamer, but I'm a cool gamer. Um, and I usually only do really story-based ones. Um, and you're such a fucking nerd. <laughs> I know, I'm a huge nerd. You look like I a literally- gamer. um i know but like cool gamer uh i'm like one who dresses up like constantine um no but uh so exactly so um there's this game called until dawn which i think really does the um windigo myth very well um in that it follows more of like the 
overall lore, the creature looks more similar to what it's supposed to be. Um, as far as I know, a Wendigo is close to like a Yeti um, or like Sasquatch or Bigfoot, that kind of thing. Um, I did some I research, think... so we'll get into it. <laughs> okay. Um, you can pop in whenever. But um, this, so this game basically just like is a horror film about that kind of stuff. And I think it's just really like, it touches on it just a little bit um, and feels like a fun kind of like weird version of it versus like this, which tries to change that myth. I mean, Antlers literally isn't related to, as far as I know, the Wendigo whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why they did that. I mean, it was a, a fine design. Um, but I'm, yeah, the whole last act of this movie, I was legitimately like laughing under my breath most of the, and not like, I really have, try not to like laugh in theaters because it's like, it can really break the immersion and I would be pissed if like someone laughed through the next movie we talk about or something like that. Um, but there it just so many things felt so wrongly paced and wrongly revealed. Um, there's like supposed to be a sad moment and um at the towards the end of the film and it's so poorly uh directed and everything i haven't seen much of scott cooper stuff i think um this may be it for me oh no um i watched yeah no this is my first directorial of his um but i guess i'll check out his other stuff because i i did always want to see crazy heart i have no interest in black mass but <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Scott Cooper is one of those guys like everyone else hates, but both myself and Jack like love. So oh, okay, well, that we're crazy. Mind. Yeah, I wouldn't like <laughs> don't go in expecting greatness, but like I found greatness and I love Black Mass, but you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. okay, okay, so Alina, you were going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So like, as I was watching this film, so I am not indigenous and I, so I have like extremely limited knowledge about like the Wendigo and granted a lot of this knowledge becomes, comes from season one, episode two of Supernatural. So like, <laughs> it's not a lot based on this Wikipedia page, but as I was sitting through this movie, I was like, Sorry, this just, just feels, <laughs> in okay. it. I know it's funny, but as, as I was sitting through antlers, I was just thinking to myself, this feels like incorrect. Like, so that's why I had to like go home and like Google stuff afterwards. So like antlers specifically takes place in Oregon, like the PNW. And I was like, all right, I remember it's not the Wendigo episode of Supernatural, but I remember they're hunting another monster and like Sam and Dean are trying to figure out what it is. And at one point Sam suggests like, oh, like maybe it's a Wendigo. And Dean is like, well, they're usually never that far West. And I was like, why the fuck is antlers taking place in the PNW then? So like, <laughs> Like the Wendigo specifically is from um, the myths of like Algonquin people who are mostly in like Great Plains, US, Great Lakes, US and Canada and like Eastern Forest, Canada. So I was like, weird that like, this is one thing that is really annoying about just calling like native people native or like indigenous people indigenous. Cause like, I feel like they get all lumped together and they're very different. They all have like very different like stories. So it's kind of just like gross to me that like the filmmakers here took the Wendigo and put it in a totally different like culture that like doesn't have anything to do with the Wendigo. Um, and like, I was reading more 
and like wendigos don't even have antlers so like why the fuck is this movie called antlers and why does the monster have antlers when in like the actual indigenous story there's no horns or like antlers with the wendigo like paul was saying that he thinks it's more of like a yeti thing like kind of it's really associated with like winter and like famine and greed and starvation i kind of see it more similar to like a werewolf or like a skinwalker but like they are very heavily associated with winter and like the way the wendigo gets killed in antlers is like it gets has to be stabbed in the heart but in like the actual indigenous myths it like needs to be burned with like fire and stuff because it's like a winter associated monster um and then even like going further on the wikipedia page they have this monster in the athabascan indigenous culture which is specific to the pnw i don't know how to say this word but it looks like the Weechug, I'm so sorry if I'm saying that wrong. And it's very similar to the Wendigo. Like it's supposed to be like a malevolent cannibal supernatural being. But like, if that is like a thing for PNW indigenous cultures, why didn't, why wasn't this monster like that instead of like a Wendigo? Like it's just, it actually like makes me mad the more like stuff I've read about it. And even at this movie with like, its whole themes are like on trauma and addiction and environmentalism. And the whole thing about the Wendigo is it's like starvation and famine and greed. Like Wendigos are created by, um, they're usually like not indigenous people. They're like settlers that like came to um, North America and like turned to cannibalism because they didn't know how to survive the winters like indigenous people did. Or like people would turn into Wendigos by being like too greedy and stuff. So like it just doesn't make sense why they use this myth. And I think it's just really rude and disrespectful to even like use it in the first place when there's no reason for it. It could have been like literally any other monster. Like it's just gross, especially in like 2021. We should be like treating indigenous like stories way better than this. Like are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, no, it just um Ultimately, it's just, it's, like, one of those movies that, like, I don't imagine, like, even, like, horror fans will particularly like because it's so slow. It feels like something that was trying to be an A24 but isn't A24. Um, Like, I don't particularly love it. I did get scared by some of the jump scares, but, like, that's it. Like, the shed got me, but. um, It's so funny because I don't even know what, like, I mean, we could talk about it off the podcast, but, um. I don't even know what jump scare you're talking about because like spoiler alert because our host just randomly started saying spoilers without giving a warning spoilers in five four three two one I usually fly and Jesse Plemons gets stabbed with oh. the antlers through the oh, okay. doors it got me like still. I knew it was coming but it still scared the shit out of me um yeah, I guess I knew it was coming so much that I was like, yep. Um, mm-hmm. I thought you meant the other guy, uh, actually. <laughs> no, no, like, no, no, Jesse Clemens. Wait, 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 I forgot Jesse one Clemens. thing. Jesse Clemens, I was like, I, they can't possibly do the same kill twice in a row in the exact same way. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that was, that's also That was why. part of why I didn't jump. But what were you going to say? Um, right sorry, there was this one thing I wanted to add. So like in Antlers, it seems like, the Wendigo thing gets like spread like it's a disease and like I don't get it 
because like that's not how the Wendigo is like created in like the actual indigenous stories based on like my preliminary research I'm really excited for like actual indigenous people to like write stuff on this because like this is just me with like two episodes of Supernatural and a Wikipedia page (laughs) I thought they were I thought it was kind of a is it not no like not based on like what I read but like I don't like it was really weird um that like the little kid like the younger brother is like turning into a wendigo also like I don't get it like is he did it by like association of like the dad like bite him like I don't understand and then at the very end like Jesse Plemons's eye starts like leaking so he has like the wendigo disease and I feel like they imply that Lucas has the wendigo disease I'm like I don't understand because based on what I read and what I recall it's like it's just like created by like you being a cannibal or something like it's probably different between like different Algonquin groups but like well it's like to me yeah I mean there's like you know uh it's supposed to be like this wendigo psychosis which is like suddenly you're just craving human flesh all the time and then as soon as you do it you become the wendigo which is why yeah when, um, I feel like why... they needed to explain that a bit better in the yeah film. well that's why if that's when the case he, um there's a point where um he when the woman comes in he eats her actually I'm going to say, I think this original script is probably longer and there's a lot that they cut mm-hmm. about like uh, the myth and stuff because yeah, to your point, Alina, I, when they go, when they, assume... go when they go and visit the native guy, uh, <laughs> like, I'm like, he definitely had a bigger role than just this one scene. Um, there is no reason yeah. for him to be in multiple spots and then just not appear again. Um, because like, so he's supposed to have this like, starvation of wanting uh human flesh but it's not until the principal goes in and he eats her that he becomes the wendigo um and that's why like you know i feel like they probably raccoons i feel like they probably midway through or like in editing or whatever added the whole environmentalism angle because the only bits where that's ever even like hinted at is a radio that is playing and the opening text, which easily could have been added afterwards. I wouldn't be entirely shocked if in like three years we get a director's <laughs> cut of this that is just like wildly different, but also like surprisingly mm-hmm. better. Maybe not great, right? There's there are also, issues with it, but. Yeah, I also remember a part where the indigenous guys is talking to Jesse Plemons towards the end of that conversation. He's like, oh, well, like the ancestral spirits, I think he says something like that, are getting angry with us. And then it cuts to like a bird's eye, like drone view of like the mining and stuff. And like, that's it. And I was like, come on. Like, I just, they, they either needed to not do the Wendigo at all or do it like more in depth for it to work for me yeah I agree um so apparently uh I just looked this up this was based on a short story by one of the screenwriters um so I wonder if it's any good um pretty weird that Delta I wonder what Del Toro is probably not that much influence from him on this but he's a producer I, on I it. definitely saw him in the creature design in the design, sure, mm-hmm. but it feels like Del Toro historically has been much like better about his usage of like mythology and usage of you know culture and such. So I don't know. I feel like it's very weird, but the design I get, yeah. And before we go any further, let's hear a word about the sponsor for today's episode. 
well, let's jump into our last film. Totally won't go into a debate or anything about this one. We have Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. Paul, take it away. So um, when I was a kid, I used to like Edgar Wright stuff. And then as I got older, I kind of fell off on his style. Um, I I find it like very cool when I was younger. Now it just feels a little like uh, cheap and kind of immature. And then as he tried to mature his style, I also kind of started to lose interest in him specifically like the Coronado trilogy for his old stuff and then Scott Pilgrim really um, was just a little too much in terms of like kitschiness I know why people love it and I do get it I just it doesn't work for me Uh, Baby Driver was very boring to me Sparks Brothers was very boring and so I went into Last Night in Soho uh, ready to just be very mid on it Um, preface on it though I did go to the uh, premiere and so I will say that that might color some of it when you're sitting there with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy and Edgar Wright and Thomas and McKenzie just all like chilling around you. Um, But I really liked this. Um, So Last Night in Soho basically is a um, British student goes to the London School of Fashion and has an obsession with the 1960s and also possibly ESP or schizophrenia. (laughs) Um, It's kind of like left (laughs) to your, your imagination on what it is. And um, she starts imagining that she's a hot girl from the sixties and things start going poorly for her. Um, But yeah, it's, um, I really liked this. Um, I think the castings are great. I have had problems with the main actresses and other things, uh, especially Thomas and McKenzie, who I think is the worst part of old. And um, outside of Jojo Rabbit, just have never really connected with her. I think she's fantastic in this for this specific role. And then um, Anya Taylor-Joy, who I find to be uh, very, like, an interesting face to look at, um, but I don't find much going on in her performances. I think she's really, really good in this because she's allowed to play a different role other than like the scared ingenue. Uh, you know, I, I feel like uh, if you were casting a couple years back, which is actually when they would have cast this, um, Anya would have been like a shoe in for the Thomas and McKenzie role. So it's really impressive that he looked ahead and was like oh no she's going to kind of become more of the the sex symbol that she became actually after uh queen's gambit um and putting her in that role now uh was really clever and then also you know uh diana rigg is in this and she's fantastic um most people will know her as olena tyrell from game of thrones i know her um from this show called the Avengers from the sixties. Um, so this was like, for me, a really fun last role for her. Um, she gets to like play around a little bit and it's kind of a memorable character. It's not just, Oh, she's a background. Um, so yeah, I do see why people will have problems with it and we could talk about it when we get into spoilers, 
But uh, overall, I think this is just really stylish and really fun. And I had a great time. I'll jump in quickly because I agree for the most part. I love this film. Like I gave it a plus. I gave it five stars and I never give shit five stars and or I never give shit an A plus. So like I went in expecting though to hate it for a couple of reasons. Mainly Alina and Jack both hated the film. Alina saw it at TIFF. Jack saw it somewhere and both of you did not like it. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to like this film. And I sat down and it just feels infectious for the first part, uh, specifically once she gets to London and she's going back and she's having these dreams where she's seeing a ghost potentially, potentially living this girl's life. And it just has this infectious charm. Um, and as you mentioned, the acting is incredible throughout. Um, the style's fantastic. It is a beautiful looking film. Um, and then you start adding, get, you get to the third act and it makes choices. And there are some choices that I was at first a little like, oh, that's that's a yikes. But then I kind of really started thinking about it. And I feel like I'm on the same wavelength with this film at really every point. Like, I'm okay with every twist they throw. I'm okay with every stylistic decision. Like, there's genuinely not a single part of this film where it's like, I think it's bad or I have an issue with it. Like, I think it has such a strong style, such a strong voice such a strong like persona and energy and personality and ultimately i think its message and thesis is really not only daring but really needed and relevant i really love this film but alina i think you've probably had the biggest like journey with this film out of any of us so i'm curious what you currently think of it yeah i saw this at tiff and i was really looking forward to it um, I do, like, I wouldn't call Edgar Wright one of my favorite directors, but I do really like his stuff. I think I've seen almost all of his um, feature-length films, um, and I, like, especially enjoy the Cornetto trilogy. Like, Hot Fuzz is my favorite of his movies. Like, I could watch that one, like, over and over again. I really like it when he does, like, um, small town British humor. That's when he's at his best for me, but I also, I did like Baby Driver. Um, I don't really remember liking Scott Pilgrim, but um, I watched that on TV and apparently like there's a lot of changes between like the actual movie and the TV version. So like I've been meaning to give it a chance, just haven't gotten around to it. So like I was going in with high expectations too last night in Soho. Like I thought it would be very much for me because like I like Edgar. Um, I really like the 1960s I'm more of like 70s y'all like I'm 70s Americana myself but like 60s London's really interesting too and I thought like at least the aesthetics would get me because like when we watched Cruella earlier this year I fucking loved the 70s aesthetic of that and like all the needle drops like really got me to the point where I really liked that movie more than I should have <laughs> um but like I was vibing with Last Night in Soho like it wasn't anything like super special to me but there was a lot of like sequences that I really liked like my favorite is um in the second act when um they're doing like a montage of Ani Taylor-Joy's like Sandy like dancing um and like getting drinks from all these guys and like everyone they all ask her like oh what's your name love and then like, she gives like a different name every time um and then like somebody pops up and I was like oh my fucking god like I really liked that sequence there's a lot of like things like that that I really enjoyed about this movie um and then like the third act happens and it just totally lost me and I feel like um 
the third act and the reels that come for it is what like makes or breaks the movie for people because it's not just like me that has issues with it like I now that it's like last night in Soho is officially out I've been seeing a ton of people either like love it or hate it like it's it's no, no matter what it's going to be like a divisive film and for me it just like didn't work and we can get more into it um I mean go into spoilers but like I I vibe with it until like the third act and it totally ruined everything for me yeah no that totally makes sense and right before we pop in uh I one of the like coolest little like fun facts about this is um one of the the opening shot of her first dream sequence um there's a scene where she's looking in the mirror and um a like coat check guy takes her coat and he takes it over um in uh sandy's world too in the mirror and i thought that that was um like a trick of like you know uh poster vis effects and it's not it's actually um done with a trick in the camera and the two coat check guys are actually fred and george from harry potter um and so yeah i knew it was Um, them i recognized them um so it was like i vaguely was like oh i remember that guy but i was thinking it was a trick of the um invisifex and i didn't think about the fact that whole sequence um and almost all of the stuff where they're doing how thomason and anya um interact with each other within that is just like really spectacular in terms of like a filmmaking standpoint and super difficult to not look hokey um and i think that that's where you see his you know uh, experience in stuff like tom uh tom pilgrim uh scott pilgrim and things like that uh coming through and refining in a really unique way um yeah no i think uh a lot of it's really well done i will say though (laughs) i was a hundred percent sure that her friend was just her gay best friend and then all of a sudden they change it into a uh romantic sequence he kisses her at one point and i was like what i had no clue that that was the vibe they were going for and <laughs> then it, like no become- chemistry whatsoever at all um it's one of the worst castings i think i've ever seen because that guy is very clearly playing um a more queer coded character um from line one and they never I never got a single moment where I was like, oh yeah, they should be in love. Um, And I still like, that's one of my biggest quibbles with the movie actually is that there's no reason for them to have a romantic. And I also think it hurts her overall character growth to have any sort of romance in the current world. Um, I know why they did it um, just to not have like all bad men, um, which actually is my problem with promising young woman as well um so damned if you do damned if you don't in my eyes but <laughs> cool do you i mean do we want to get to spoil yeah i was gonna say do we want to get into spoilers yeah. now because i feel like that third act kind of needs some yeah discussion uh, so, spoiler yeah, alert i just i want to say something about i did have a huge issue with um his character in it what is his actual first name 
it's like really forgettable other than like him popping up john so like john is played <laughs> the by most a, forgettable name <laughs> yeah he's played by a black actor and i don't like expect edgar wright who's british to handle this well but i was reading um like the scenes this is spoilers now um when he visits like uh thomas and mckenzie's apartment and then he gets like chased out of the uh the house by diana briggs character it just felt so icky to me because there's such a long history of black men being accused of um raping white women and it just like it gave me such like a terrible vibe and i think that is like one of the huge issues with like colorblind casting and again i don't expect edgar wright to like get that but like i was reading robert daniels's review after tiff when like all the tiff reviews were coming out and he touches on it very very well yeah no i i thought about that as well um when i was watching and i do think it is one of the issues with um the kind of uh to your point colorblind casting um where you can definitely tell that there was a thought of, oh, there's going to be a lot of white people in this. We should um, not have all white people, but then not changing the story at all. Um, and I think mm -hmm. if they had not been having sex or planning to, if, you know, going back to, I think they should have just been friends. I think that that would have played less weird. Um I think that it really, it's like one of the weirder moments. There's like three moments in this movie um, where I went like, mm. um, another just being like some of the opening, uh, I just like really don't vibe with. Um, she's a little too weird. Um, mm -hmm. When the movie starts, um, she's like introduced to her roommate, Jacosta, who I think is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> and she's, perfectly normal college student and i think it's a real problem um with edgar having not been you know he's older and i think richer than all of these people like i think even his background is pretty wealthy um <laughs> it kind of plays like a very stereotypical like oh yeah this um this girl you know these are the bad kids but and she wants to just be chill, but I don't think there's enough of a push to where I felt like she would move out. Like I was that kid. My, my roommate um, in college freshman year was literally like from the Virgin islands and like one of the biggest partiers at our school and stuff. And like, uh, you know, uh, I'd come into my room and he'd just be like banging people on my bed, like my bed, no reason for it. Um, you know, so like you just kind of like got used to that shit. It was just like, okay, sure. Um, and so like, <laughs> it's a real leap for me to be like, she would move out. I think that it like, there wasn't really even a need for all of that sequence um, because I do believe that her being like, I would want to stay, you know, I wish it had been, oh, I can stay in the dorms or I could get this cute little, um 60s house yeah i'm gonna get the 60s house that fits more of her like yeah vibe, that definitely vibe. makes a lot more sense because so many people don't even bother going to dorms anyway and just start out living on their own like yeah no reason for that sequence. and it, it could have even it could have even been that the dorms are more expensive because i would believe that they probably were and then this like you know mm -hmm. crappy little tenement house uh 
but yeah, so I guess we can talk about the spoilers. I don't know who wants to like if you have not seen the movie, definitely like go see it before you have this uh, have this conversation because it's very much like <laughs> uh I guess I'll start because I have the weirdest uh, thing with the ending. So I love spoilers. I love to be spoiled. <laughs> so uh, Jack had seen this. I want to say he saw it in Venice. I don't know if I'm right, um, but he saw so. it really early. And um, he like talked about how much he hated last night in Soho. And I did not like Baby Driver and I hated Sparks Brothers. So I was like totally ready to just like, hate this so i was like wait so is uh diana rig anya taylor joy and he's like yes and then like it's this like me too movie and i was like oh okay and so the movie as i understood it as going in was diana rig was anya taylor joy the death was a rape and then it was going to be them like fighting the old man at the end that was a hundred percent what i thought was going to happen and I think also it did help me like this movie more because I was like, oh shit. Like I got shocked while thinking I knew the ending, <laughs> which is a very weird feeling um, when like things start happening and you're like, oh, I don't know what this movie is. And I thought I did um, just like Thomas and Mackenzie. Um, but Diana Riggs character, I guess I'll let you explain it, Alina. <laughs> Okay. Um, there was just like one other like small thing that I wanted to like talk about first that is kind of spoilery, but it's not like the big reveal. Um, that bothered me. So like we'll we'll touch on that real fast, and then we can talk about uh actual reveal. So like the opening of this movie when like she is still like in like Thomas and Mackenzie's character is still in Cornwall with her grandmother. She like sees her dead mother who committed suicide in like the mirror and then she like never shows up again until like the end of the movie don't understand like, why they made that a thing other than like thomas and mackenzie's character having like some sort of like connection to like ghosts and the supernatural which like fine but then there's also a line when diana riggs is like uh renting the apartment to Thomas and Mackenzie and she's like oh well like so many other girls like run out in the middle of the night that's why I asked for like two months first rent and two months last rent or whatever I'm just like why was that line necessary if like she also has all this ESP stuff because I feel like that implies that all of these other girls also see Andy's ghost because why would they oh. leave randomly in the middle of the night just like Thomas and Mackenzie did like that just bothers me like it feels like one of those things is not necessary and it's just weird Oh, see, I read that line completely differently. I read it like, uh, you know, like if Jocasta stayed there and was like, oh, this isn't sexy. I'm just going to like peace out. Um, in I the middle of the night? I think it, that's just like her saying like, instead of like letting me know and giving me the month's rent or whatever. Uh, see, I didn't like, There's get also like that college students like end. drop out and they have a mental breakdown. They drop out and leave just randomly. Like it's not that hard. Yeah, of but I also just like, don't get that because towards the end of the film when like all the ghost stuff is becoming too much for thomas and mackenzie she runs out in the middle of the night so like i feel well, like that's the connection they were going for i don't think it's like i think they just do that because like oh lol it's funny because she's doing what they said but i don't think it was like they see yeah yeah i think it i think it was even so music. a lot of people because... like read into it like that oh, and it just yeah. feels messy um yeah, I think it's I think it's more like um 
because I've had friends who like are like, fuck, I hate this apartment and we'll just like move out and they'll move out like, you know, basically today, the 31st. And then like, are like, peace out. Um, especially like, you know, that woman does not have a contract and all that kind of shit. It's just like, you know, wink, nudge, I'll pay. Um, but uh, yeah, the ESP is like a little bit confusing in this movie. Um, but I kind of have figured out a through line and it's mainly through the grandmother's line where she says the last time you were in the city um all of the ghosts really freaked you out or like all the spirits are out or she says that and Mm -hmm. so um you know getting into the spoilers a bit um she's literally living in like a graveyard so like i think that that's supposed to be why she goes fully insane going to talk to like the cops towards the end and like he implies that she's like schizophrenic I feel like it just doesn't do a good job of like correlating mental health and horror like it's a really annoying trope that I well and like it's also I mean mean, it's they think that she's has mental illness but like we know she doesn't because she sees like actual events I think yeah, if someone came to you, like, I'm seeing yeah, I ghosts, know. I'm I saw just saying murder. Within the, like, wider context of horror, it's, like, a really overused trope, and I don't think it's used well here again. Um, I mean, it's this is definitely a send-up to, like, those kind of movies. In the late 60s, um, there was just, like, a glut of is-she-crazy movies. Um, and I kind of like... The one thing I do like about this movie is that she ends up very conclusively although my dad disagrees very conclusively ends up not being crazy. Uh, my dad is a hundred percent sure this is all in her head. <laughs> like he's like, Nope, she's crazy. Uh, she just, just set fire to the house on purpose. Um, yeah, no, like he, okay. he we can, uh, I was going to say, so um, I do like, I did like that at least in that way, it does like, say that because it is kind of talking this is very much like uh, to me like a movie talking to people who have uh seen a bunch of these movies and that is kind of a problem Alina when you are such a famous director and people will watch it without having watched because like there are like references Mm -hmm. to other movies especially um Polanski's Repulsion um which uh you know I think almost you need to see which is kind of cool like but also I think is a struggle when you're doing a mainstream movie um you can't do like little you know you need a long history of deep cut British horror to (laughs) understand like what's going on in this um but yeah I totally see like that being an issue it just wasn't specifically for me Mm-hmm. But I had I had issues. You can with talk it. about the big reveal now if you want to. Okay, so um, uh, throughout the movie, uh, Anya Taylor Joy's uh, character Sandy is like hinted at being murdered. Then you see a murder scene, and she's covered in blood for the rest of the time. And Thomason tries to like get the police involved to, um, you know, uh, reveal the murderer. Uh, figure out who the murderer was from all these years ago thinks it's one man he gets hit by a car it's revealed that that was actually a cop who was helping sandy 
And then the reveal is that Diana Rigg is Sandy and Sandy is a serial killer. And the house is full of the bodies of all of the people that she's killed. I hated this entire reveal. I have so many issues with it. Specifically, let's be clear. It's not just that she's randomly killing men. She's killing men who like are trying to create a toxic system of like, oh, you have to have sex with me to like get ahead in the industry. Like, let's just be clear. It's not like a random, oh, random serial killer. Um, I really have no issues with it, to be honest. I think this is like promising young woman done well, if I'm being honest. Um, like the reveal of the killing, her killing the guys. Yeah, okay, that's fine, right? I don't know, me- like I, I don't think that's the controversial moment. I think the moment that's very controversial is when she tries to kill Anna Taylor-Joy or no, when she tries to kill um, Thompson McKenzie. Yes. Um, when she tries to kill her, that's like the reveal or like that's the big moment. And at first, that's why I was like, oh, like, are we really villainizing this woman? But then at the same time, it's like, well, no, her innocence, like, from my opinion, her, like, this is trying to say, like, her innocence was stolen. How we move on from this time is not just getting rid of, like, one side of the problem, or it's not getting rid of just a certain element. You have to literally burn this era to the ground to find a new foundation to move on from. Her Ultimately, her, like, innocence, her love for life, her... Like her personality that we got to know throughout this entire film was stolen by the actions of these horrendous men to the point where like now she is broken. She's like, and it's this survival mindset where she's willing to kill. She's had that moral like purity, I guess you could say for lack of a better words, broken. And like, there's no saving her. There's no saving this era. There's no saving all this nostalgia. Like it was ruined by these evil men and to move on, like literally, because there's a fire, you have to burn it to the ground. So I really didn't have like any issues with it. But Alina, I'm curious what you have to say. Um, first of all, I really did not think it was necessary that like the old man, like Lindsay's character, had to get fucking hit by a car. Like, why? Especially since it's like largely Thomas and Mackenzie's like fault that <laughs> for the most part, because like um the sequence I was talking about me loving earlier is like when Sam Claflin who's like amazing in this gets like revealed to be like a cop and he like wants to help her and like his character as like the old man just makes no sense to me throughout the entire movie because he comes across as this like creepy creepy guy that like Thomas McKenzie thinks he's like Jack like Matt Smith's character I'm like I don't get it other than trying to make it like a red herring like there's no reason for it and there's no reason for him to just like die um like okay um I really didn't like the designs of like the ghosts like the facelessness kind of like worked but other than that they just like looked like shit to me um and like there are points in the reveal where they get made out to be like the victims which I really didn't like. And that's like up to interpretation, of course. But like, there's a point where like Thomas and Mackenzie is like screaming on her bed and all these like faceless ghosts that are like grabbing at her and they're asking her to like help them. And like, so you're victimizing all of these like rapists that like raped Sandy throughout like her entire experience going through all these like nightclubs. And I just really, really did not like that. Like one of the ghosts is literally like handing Thomas and Kenzie the phone to like call the police on like Sandy. Like what the fuck? Um, 
like I feel like they tried to make it this like whole thing about like flipping gender roles and like flipping the victim and like the perpetrator but it just like ends up being so messy because the entire film up until that point is like how women suffer from like sexism so like it just really does not make sense to me it's just like executed like fucking poorly to me um and yeah the point when like Diana Riggs like fucking poisons Thompson McKenzie's character and is like stabbing her up the stairs and like it goes back and forth between like Diana Riggs and like Anya and the stairs when it's like Anya looks so fucking trash like it is terrible looking like the CGI is worthless hated it like I just hated everything about the reveal like not a single thing worked for me and like even when Anya Taylor-Joy gets revealed to like being a serial killer it's like she kills Jack who is like her pimp and I don't understand why she has to like lure all these like more men because they don't imply if these ones are like did they rape her in the past are these like new men who think they're just going to like a sexual encounter and she's just luring them to her death to their deaths like there's just it, nothing about the reveal worked for me and I just hated everything about it see I'm uh I am completely different than both of you um I just enjoyed it as a fun spooky and like I totally get like and uh, that's one of my struggles with a lot of like um you know movies especially like right now is like everything feels like in it, I think there is political things he's trying to say um he but ultimately is. like this entire oh, year has been filmed with bullshit fucking me too movies and i'm so tired of it like uh, i don't want to talk about these movies ever again i'm so sick of it and i feel like you can tell by like my tone i'm so fucking over it but my point is is like a horror film it works for me and like i think ultimately that's where i'm like landing is like I've seen both takes, like your take, Carson, and yours, Elena, and I see them both being valid. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'm not fucking uh, Edgar Wright, so I don't know what they were thinking, or Christy Wilson Karens, um, who was the co-writer. I don't know what the thought was, and I didn't get to go to a Q&A to hear like more of what they're thinking and all that. And so then with those kind of movies, I ultimately have to go, did I have fun? And it's the same with, uh, I actually want to say, uh, relating this to Lamb, same thing where it's like, I've seen a lot of people be like, oh, this is, you know, um, about this, or it's about this, or maybe they should have done this. And ultimately I go, but yeah, but do I get something from it? I'm like, yeah, I, I had a fun spooky time. I think, uh, you know, uh, Diana Rigg plays villain. Well, I, sure I could tear this apart but I can tear almost every movie apart um and ultimately I think it's a little interesting that I've seen uh you know also like um people being like this is an, a men hating movie and then also your point Alina it's really interesting that this is like such a if uh, like a tense thing because I literally got out of it and I was like kind of just silly and I I had fun I didn't I'm not trying to get deep into it which I guess is a problem on a movie podcast but like sometimes maybe just yeah. like like I just can um, enjoy it for being silly <laughs> 
like I've been she's seeing a, like I've watched a lot of the interviews with like Edgar Wright and like Christy Wilson Carnes or whatever her name is and they've like talked about how it's supposed to be like feminism and political and all this like junk so that's why I have massive issues with it because this oh, is yeah. something I've been looking forward to for a long time so it's uh, it, and I think like even it. if it was if it was trying to just be light but then you still have themes of like rape and such like I don't know I don't think that is passable see but then i'll but no but i'll flip back because i think that that's exactly what happened with uh promising young woman as well is like when people talk about what they like in promising young woman it's not usually it's political messaging it's that they like the vibe and the dialogue and everything and that's how i feel about this as well and i think that that's just overall becoming a thing with these movies is like yeah, but I don't think it uh, should be. And I think Promising a Woman's bad. Like, I not to, like, I, I'm not, like, saying... I like, I mean, but opinion, I like... But, but like, I like both... But I like both of these, and I think both of their politics are very messy, and I don't, like, I... <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I sure. don't engage... But I don't engage with a lot of politics on a lot of movies that I'm like, okay, well, that I don't particularly vibe with that, but I like the movie. Um, sure. It just, it, it feels... It, it, to me feels overall inoffensive in that I don't think anyone's like, oh, I mean, even within movie, it says that the men are not the victims. And um, so it's like just a, okay, kind of thing. But I do get that. It's just ultimately like, you know, if I'm going to go, did I enjoy some of the, twists and turns in it yeah do i think that the music is great yeah uh the color i mean i gave it a four and a half star i think which is like a b for me um and i think that's where i just ultimately sit is like i liked more than i didn't but i do have problems with it but i also don't i could not like conclusively tell you how to fix the movie and so like <laughs> just like, i don't even don't make it that's what See, I but i, I but I liked it. I, I ultimately did like it. Um, I think that there's something in there. Um, but see, I had the same. Um, actually, we can go back to. Um, oh, that's why I was struggling with it. The last duel. I was like, it can't be last again, is it? It is. Um, last duel. I think I had the same problems with where it's like the more political it gets, the less I connected with those aspects. But I feel like this kind of like dodges those because I never felt a moment where they were like trying to say something too strongly. Um, I felt like it was just kind of loose. But I would have to watch more Q&As and stuff to see uh, if that changes my opinion at all. But to your point, Alina, I do get I do get being upset about things that frustrate um because i've had movies that it's like everyone's like it's uh (laughs) it didn't bother me and i'm like yeah but it bothered me because it's (laughs) something that hits me weird sure yeah i mean i definitely get what you're saying i i wouldn't i'm not like saying you're wrong or anything i just have a different i guess reading of it but that's film i guess Okay, and now let's end this thing with a new series. We're no longer doing Mr. Grumpy Pants' Road to Halloween. We're doing instead another series I will let the host of the next four weeks of this series introduce. Take it away, Alina. Um, yeah, this month our new series 
is dubbed the the silent showdown we're doing silent films this month i don't know why we picked this month um if you recall we got in a fight uh some episodes of clappercast ago actually well it was more karsten and paul i don't remember how it happened they're arguing about whether lesser keaton it was the dreamers or, it was episode 69 was it oh yeah yeah i couldn't remember um, yeah, so we were watching the Dreamers and they referenced Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton in that and they asked like who's better and we got in a fight during that episode. Um, Carson is team Charlie Chaplin, Paul is team Buster Keaton. I have only seen one of their films each. I've seen The Kid and Sherlock Jr. But like I kind of like Buster a bit better, but we're having this little showdown this month to like officially crown who's king of silent cinema and I get to decide because I have like no horse in the game. Um, so here we go. This week we are, we're doing it in chronological order. So that today we are doing Buster Keaton's Our Hospitality from 1923. And we're also doing Charlie Chaplin's The Circus from 1928. So, so let's pass it over to Paul. Tell us about Our Hospitality. Cool. So um, even though I am Team Buster, I really have only seen like mainly clips of both. I've never like sat down and watched their full films. It's just when I see a clip of Buster Keaton, I'm like, yeah, okay, I get this. I can understand it even like today, how it's interesting. With Charlie Chaplin, I feel like it's very of its era. Um, So that's kind of where we're sitting right now. Um, So I picked Our Hospitality, which I had seen... um, a sequence in a rapids that I remembered um, vaguely remembering. Um, And basically it's about a kind of like Hatfield McCoy type of feud, Romeo and Juliet style um, between the Canfields and the McKays. And um, it's basically that Buster Keaton's character is his family has been in this feud with uh, another family. His dad died during the feud fighting with one of the other uh, patriarchs of the family. And then he falls in love with the daughter and it's the blood feud still going on. Um, And, you know, kind of little jokey uh, chaos ensues. I just really enjoy this for, uh, you know, Buster Keaton's really good with his set pieces. Um, I will say, I'll give you a point, Carson, ahead of time, um, that chaplains are more stories, but I also find with the silent era that those don't hold up as well. And we'll get into that more when we talk about uh, the circus, but like this as like a, I'm putting on a silent film and what I imagined a silent film to be, um, is very much this. Uh, I find it really fun. And I thought, you know, um, in terms of like his, you know, early work, uh, that it's a a good one. Um, I'm curious what you thought. I know you said you, you thought it was boring, but I hated it. It sucks. Chaplin's the best. No, um, I'm going to try to be overall as fair as I can to both sides of this. If there's a week that Keaton wins, I'll give it to him. 
but I was not a huge fan of the film. There is some really fun iconography, some fun things like him climbing the mountain. Obviously the rapid scene is very fun, but I found this to be very lethargic. And I think a lot of it comes from the plot, which is not necessarily convoluted, but it just is a little too much, I think, for what this film is going for, especially in silent films. You really have to be careful with how you structure films, how you structure knowledge, considering you can't really use dialogue to re to bring back ideas or introduce ideas. And I just don't think this film does that in a very in you know convincing or not convincing, but very like enthralling way. Let's say, I found a lot of this film to feel really boring if i'm being honest I, like, I don't hate it hate it i think it's better than what chaplin gave out the same year with the woman of paris but like i don't think this one was particularly great i wouldn't watch it again i'll say like especially in the first half especially when it takes time for him to kind of go into the lion's den let's say it just felt very lethargic and the fucking train in this took forever i thought but you know that maybe that's just me oh no no there were aspects that i definitely am feeling the silent movie aspect but i also look at the year and i'm like 1923 what are we looking at like film's been around for 20 years and buster keaton is 28 like this is really impressive for like what they what was accomplished during this uh time in also understanding that, you know, film as a narrative was kind of just being figured out and what you could get audiences across. Um, and so in terms of a spectacle, I think this still really holds up. There's so many sequences that are just like, wow, that's really impressive. Um, and just overall kind of like, just interesting. I find the comedic aspects to be very clever for the years we're talking about. Um, you know, a, a lot of times when you watch these like older comedies, um, they don't feel like something that could uh, pass today. Um, but these, I feel like are like a little weaker, but like not not terrible, um, which I, I think is really interesting when you're just considering that like, you know, uh, motion comedy was brand new um outside of like vaudeville or stage yeah I had a lot of fun with this one um I feel like the Hatfields and McCoys and like Romeo and Juliet and whatever it's like a very familiar story at this point but I just thought it was like an interesting take like how this film was from 1923 but he brought it back to like the 1830s um and yeah I had a lot of fun with the uh all the characters and the comedy and whatever and yeah the rapid scene just really blew me away like I was reading about it and apparently it was down on like a film set but like even so that seems like such a scary thing to even to like have to do like the waterfall the rapids when he like ties himself with the rope and he like catches the girl as she's falling like the whole entire thing was just like super impressive to me all the train stuff like I don't know just Buster Keaton's one like cool dude and he does a lot of cool stuff in his movies and like it's a, it's just he's an impressive little guy I like him a lot <laughs> okay um so yeah, what did you guys think of uh, the Charlie Chaplin that we picked this week, The Circus? 
so I will say I quickly realized during this recording I completely messed up already with order of release because we were doing these by order of release so I'm just gonna say that instead I chose the films for Chaplin in order of narrative and the circus is what I started out with from 1928 because um, I think this is such like peak Chaplin showing his filmmaking ability the story is fine right it's a love story it takes place at a circus it's nothing really to write home about but the filmmaking in this is like mind-blowing I think that mirror maze scene where like for just a random scene it doesn't really matter that much he just runs into a mirror maze and it shows all around him I like I remember pausing that scene and being like you had to be so precise with the camera and you look at everything Chaplin does as a filmmaker and it has to be so precise and even as an actor he has that scene where he plays the robot character and like his moments his, move, his movements are so precise and so perfect it's, like a couple seconds off and it would have been like ruined like I look it's at so Chaplin. funny that you let me uh, well it's so funny ahead. I just want to pop in uh specifically about the robot scene that was one of the scenes where I went this is so corny like sure <laughs> like and but it's like the kind of thing and uh, you know i i do get what you're saying and i was actually thinking uh, i had to go run the dog upstairs but i was just thinking like you know it is interesting that we're comparing two people because of the era they were in even though they're trying to do two different things uh chaplin being much more comedic but when chaplin does comedy i am so uninterested uh, <laughs> I find it like I find it so hackneyed uh, you know I said in the group chat I said in the group chat like um, you know it feels like he's trying to have what Mr. Bean has um, because Mr. Bean really is like the the uh, be all end all of the silent era um, in that he comes years and years later and kind of like does all of their things in a modern lens um, by the way, if you haven't watched Mr. Bean, you definitely should. Not talking about the movies. I'm talking about like the old TV show. Perfect silent film stuff. Yeah, um, I agree with and, that. And actually a great way to get into silent film because it's not silent yet. And then you can like go watch older films, especially if you're a younger person or someone who doesn't particularly find silent films interesting. Popping in real quick. But continuing what you're saying, I just wanted to say, because I specifically at that scene, I was like, oh. See, that's how I feel about Keaton stuff. I find this interesting because I look at Keaton and I'm like, okay, right? It's cool because like you built the railroad, right? You built the soundstage with the rapids, but like he himself is not necessarily, in my opinion, doing anything that spectacular. I feel like I could do what Keaton does. I don't think I can do what Chaplin does. I think he pushes it as a filmmaker, as a performer. Like he himself is pushing the envelope and really doing incredible well, stuff. Well, yeah, I don't think Keaton, you can I, I will like, just um, note, hold on. I, I just think Keaton note. is doing good. I don't think Keaton's being bad or anything. I just think he's doing like the easier shit. I just, I just I... feel like you couldn't wear a Hitler mustache today. So that is fair. You couldn't do what <laughs> Chaplin's doing. Yo, I did some <laughs> sick Chaplin cosplay. Check that group chat though. I had the best um, Yeah, put that on our Twitter, Carson. It's so good. I was just going to say, um, I disagree because I know for a fact that I could not be climbing up a rope against the side of a waterfall like Buster Keaton did. My, I don't have the upper body strength. Okay, mine That's is impressive. Five, though. One is climbing <laughs> a rope. One is doing such specific movements and Wait, such specific- but, but, Okay, like, so like, but his attempt at what Keaton's doing um during the high the you know the tightrope scene 
um, he's like fully strapped in and that's like part of the story and that's fine. But I also was definitely like, cause you can't do the tightrope. <laughs> like it really was to me, I was like, you can't do the actual trick. So you wanted to put it in the movie. And so you did like this, you know, uh, so he way. thought about it and created a way as a filmmaker. Yeah, but I, I don't think we're not putting these I, two on American Ninja Warrior. We're asking who's the better uh, filmmaker. Maybe we Buster should. Keaton <laughs> would um, win Warrior. Absolutely. Okay, I'm but not I denying also, that, but I'm not. But, but I, Keaton can't make a film as good as Chaplin. That's the issue. But I, you know, but I think he, I think he can. And, and also, we are comparing. Like, when was the circus made? Twenty eight. Um, twenty eight. So we're talking about five years difference. Um, maybe we should have done uh, a woman in Paris to discuss, uh, you know, he direct in correlations. That. that was not a good example. Uh, oh, uh, I haven't <laughs> seen it. Um, Don't. But, <laughs> but yeah. So you know, it's it's hard to discuss. Five years during this period, especially, was like rapid progression in skills. So I do watch it, and I go, oh, it does seem a little more formal, uh, formalized, and a little. Uh, sure. you know, stronger, but also we're talking about their earlier work. So it's, you know, I mean, we're next year we're that way. This, um, next week we're talking about something, but in terms of five, because I messed up on order, but like, yeah, I guess I won't even bring that up now, but like, I don't know. I think that's a kind of weak excuse to be like, Keaton's more boring because of the time, like there's plenty of people doing fascinating stuff. No, I'm not time. saying I'm not more, I'm not boring. I'm, I'm saying in terms of like what we realized we could do, um, Trip to the Moon was, well, let's see. O two, wasn't it? Trip to the Moon is nineteen o two. Got that so, you date know, right. We're, we're only talking about like twenty one years from like a short film, kind of like playing around with some things, which you know, Melier is impressive. Don't get me wrong. Uh, if we were doing any of these guys against him, it's you know uh, a very different conversation, but. It is interesting uh, to think about that time period difference. Um, but yeah, I do get, in terms of an artistic quality, like Chaplin may be like stronger, but I feel like that's one of the things when you talk about, well, what ultimately, especially with older movies where you're not getting something artistically from them for the most part, I feel like once you get to an era probably the 30s and down, maybe early 30s, um, definitely the silent era. I'm more worried about entertainment value. Um, like I can watch these movies. You know, I just watched um, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and I was like, sure, uh, stylistically it's great, but am I enjoying myself? No. And that's kind of how I feel about Chaplin in general, specifically like, um, you know, we I don't think we're even talking about on this list, but The Kid, is one of those that just really like great. You can't me. undercut find, my conversation by bringing I, up the kid. I, that's no, I was gonna, weird. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, but in general, I think it's because of the tramp character really just like grinds my gears a little bit. I find I didn't him, realize like, that like I'm an idiot, obviously, and very ignorant. I didn't realize that Charlie Chaplin did that character in like every single movie. It seems. I've only, I've only seen two so far, but Most like, is. I was not expecting to see yeah, it again. I, I think three out of the four I do are the tramp. Yeah. Um, Interesting. I just like, I find the tramp to be a very like frustrating character to talk about. Um, especially like as Charlie Chaplin becomes like less 
connected to that world at all. Um, I don't remember his backstory much. Um, maybe like next week we can do like little biographies of them. But um, I feel like once you're like one of the biggest stars in the world and you're still doing like, and this is the tramp who's, it's, it's weird. I and mean, I it's also, entertaining. it's not boring like Keaton was. Is, is it entertaining? Yes. Like, uh, like, okay. So Turner Classic Movies said that, um, I'm not like trying to put this in my thing, but uh, they said that our hospitality is a silent film for which no apologies need to be made for modern viewers. And I kind of like agree with that. Like, I feel like if I put that on for my stepsister, she'd like look at her phone, but like once you finish, she'd go, yeah, that was cute. But I feel like if you put something on like the circus, then like, (laughs) I feel like legitimately people are going to be like, okay, I'm bored. He's, like what are you in talking its simplicity about you're well, like fictionalized like number one chaplin is so much more well no, regarded by general audiences than keaton is thanks for that but also like i don't think that's fictionalizing true. a narrative here like a fictional perspective of someone saying chaplin's boring. well no 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 i okay, watched the movie overall, keaton was boring i watched him a real life human okay being. i will overall say that you know uh, the simpler story I think works better for silent film. Like, there's and one so is many, a like, fucking complex lore of two families. One is a person falling in love with another. That's person not that complex. Circus. Everybody knows, like the Romeo Juliet Hatfields and McCoy thing. It's like I was very, confused. Like, it was thing. dense. It really was weird. It, well, like, I got the general <laughs> memo, but like you have people to like talk. It, it, no, it did not work in our hospitality <laughs> as much as it could. What do you mean? I feel like Family Feud is like a very common topic. <laughs> I what love Steve mean? Harvey. I don't get me wrong. Say, but I was like, very excited for you to talk about like the the game show all of a sudden. Yeah. Yo, Chaplin would probably win that after over Keaton. That's for sure. Wrong. Uh, but like, <laughs> I don't know. I know this came out in like 1923, but like, I don't know how well established like Romeo and Juliet was in like modern like pop culture, but like or contemporary pop culture but i feel like it's like a very obvious thing is the circus not obvious would you say yeah they're at a fucking circus okay thank you so which (laughs) one is more simple one you could show a child and they understand it one would be like you could show a child and they'd be like huh (laughs) yeah when the dad's abusing his stepdaughter or whatever yeah that's a very like hard concept to explain to a child what's gonna happen to you later is exactly what's happening to the girl on this No, I, um, I, yeah. I don't have I don't have any pro- like this is a very like uncontentious for me because I found both of them to be okay, but I did find like myself enjoying. I had bigger highs for Keaton's though. I do understand, especially in the first act, that there was a little slowness to it. Um, I really enjoyed both, but overall i was just slightly more impressed by keat and like the rapid scene really got me i'm oh, sorry let me stop over. the count stop the count <laughs> yeah you stopped it now okay we're good okay count the votes recount the votes and after chaplin um, won arizona you can't tell me different uh chaplin's down for the count also like i think it is interesting just to discuss like you know uh one of the things alina said was um, you know, the only good thing about, uh, doing this is like, it's going to log a bunch for 
our like greatest films of all time. And it is interesting. I don't find them overall. I think this is going to be like minutia difference between the two. Like, I think, you know, we'll have our preferences going in. So like, that'll probably color our opinions, but it's interesting that Chaplin is so well regarded and Keaton's like, Oh yeah. I mean, like Keaton's kind of the more like, um, it's like a two four versus like Marvel movies, kind of. Oh, like, fuck you! Like in a oh my thousand... god, what it takes? <laughs> Out here trying to like. <laughs> no, I'm trying. I was gonna say Chaplin. I was trying to say. I was gonna say a two. You like Chaplin? You like Iron Man too? I mean, I didn't want to say you did. No, no, I'm talking about like more. In terms of like just interesting to be like, uh, I was gonna say neon originally, and then I like pulled something out at the last second because I feel like Neon's there's like just better. like a very like, yeah. But I, I was saying neon was um, Keaton, like the slightly lesser of one, but like I think they're like both quality. I'm just very curious, especially as we watch more of these. Um, I will like- be interested to see. Maybe Chaplin is happened? A24, Keaton is Neon. Well, I mean, the big difference is, of, co- of course, that, like, Chaplin does get involved in, like, the movie business pretty yeah. soon into his life. Um, I mean, he already is, and I think, with this one, versus isn't he I doing think everything am, on the film, basically? Well, no, I mean, like, in terms of producing and, mm-hmm. you know, he starts working with Mary Pickford and all those kind of people um, making United Artists. So I do feel like that probably helps, like, you know, when you kind of made Hollywood, um, maybe your films about your fucking little tramp are a little more well-regarded <laughs> than quality films that are just for entertainment value. <laughs> I'll let you finish. Uh, do your final... Uh, so what you're appeal. saying is, if you like No Time to Die... If you like Booksmart, if you like uh, Creed, Spectre, Skyfall, if you like Casino Royale, if you like Rocky, you could thank Charlie Chaplin directly for all those. And that's why he's better than Keaton. <laughs> um, I mean, I won't I won't disagree with you uh, 100% on that. I mean, I do think that, like, I find Keaton to be, like, a very influential person. I just find us. I mean, there's a lot of directors that I find what they do outside of the film themselves to be a more interesting person. But I'm excited about next week because next week is actually like, I think we get into the meat of both their careers. These are definitely like first tastes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Also, I expect you guys to hit me with some facts, some biographies on Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton next week. Cause you know what you did, you failed this week. Right now, still just like two hot dudes make silent well, films. Okay. I needed more. I'm an idiot. You're supposed to be educating less you people are. <laughs> Fine. I will, uh, we'll come I will prepared. do some research. Mm-hmm. It's not he like we have five years after on. my dad was born. T? Hmm? He died five years after my dad was born. That's a fun fact. I think Chaplin is the same birthday as Charlie Keith. Chaplin. I have the same birthday as Charlie Chaplin, April 16th. That's interesting. That's cool. I know. Um, 
Okay, I found a bunch of thirst tweets about Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin, and I collected them. So I will read you guys some, and then we can read some more next week because they're amazing, and we can like react to them. This one made me laugh. Uh, it's from at Amanda Marie. Uh, she wrote, Buster Keaton was hot with his Bugs Life eyes. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, here's one for Wait, Elena, our boy. Elena, hmm. Elena you yeah. broke up after his Bugs Life eyes. I don't know if he, he did. Oh, I just laughed. Well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like no big I didn't say anything further um this one is from jazzy yizzy 2001 um and she said I just know that Charlie Chaplin was hot under that mustache and then I googled Charlie Chaplin without makeup and he is hot so like damn if you heard it here first that Charlie Chaplin is actually kind of hot first Most people don't Exclusive. know i didn't know i just assumed he looks like sorry, that all sorry. the time that's right one point <laughs> chaplain now we're tied up because he's hot <laughs> both of them are hot oh, chaplain's hotter but that's okay it's debatable wait wait this one is the best i was gonna save this one for last but like i can't resist i have to read it now it made me laugh so much um this one is from at literary cat um, not to be objectifying or whatever, but Buster Keaton was hot as fuck. Let's be honest. Gotta love an androgynous, sad, acrobat clown. So good. <laughs> Amazing. Like, art. I fucking love thirst tweets. Um, so, yeah, that's all thirst I have for you this for week. these, like, yeah. old dead men. <laughs> you would think that there wouldn't be a lot, but I just Googled, like, Buster Keaton hot and Charlie Chaplin hot, and I found, like, gold mine. So if I find some, like, more words, I'm sure I'll find some more next week, but, like, it's incredible. That was tragic, actually, when I was watching Our I'm trying Hospitality. To think- Maybe this is why I didn't have so much fun with it, is when the dog comes in, I was like, oh, my God, that dog is dead. And, like, I had a real <laughs> breakdown over the song. I do that. <laughs> Okay, you know what's funny? I did that with the fucking monkey and the kitten in the circus. It's as so soon as sad. he pulled out the kitten, I was like, I was like, that kitten has another like what, like 15 years of life, and then it is gone. Um, also, I'll send it to the the group um, so you guys can react live. I cannot figure out who this colorized version of Charlie Chaplin without makeup looks like, but it's definitely like some repost picture I sent. Kind of no, looks like Jack Harlow. Color, yeah. It feels like a like Cillian Murphy with like a round somebody. I see like Bob Dylan crosses Cillian Murphy. Isn't it Killian Murphy crossed with Jack it Harlow? Doesn't matter. Is it a tiny bit of walking Phoenix? My sister. Oscar, so. My sister was so pissed at me when I called him Cillian Murphy, and she said it's Killian. Wait, wait so, who did you say? Just sitting aside. My sister. No, 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 no. Oh, wait, what do they look like? Is there a little yeah, said... X in there? Yeah. Oh, that could be it. Is there somebody? Okay, you should post it on the um, Instagram or whatever we have on the Twitter and see if anyone can figure out who the hell it looks. It's somebody. I'm like looking at it and I'm like, yeah, it's like an actor. He that really I like. is cute, actually. Like, I never really like really? thought he was cute. This is a cute wait. photo. Here, I have one that's gonna annoy Carson a bit. One more thirst tweet. Let me find it. Hot people. This is from Nev- Niven was here. H- 
hot people prefer Buster Keaton to Charlie Chaplin. Sorry, I don't make the rules. Girl, we have two people <laughs> right here who proved that theory wrong. So good on you. <laughs> Gosh, well, also on the is- Twitter, make sure to vote. We're going to put up a poll that says which one is better this week. So, but no, I think we have to do it overall because here's the thing. We'll do no, we'll, let's do it. About this. We'll do every individual week and, and then overall. we'll do it at the end. Yeah. Okay. okay. It's a good for engagement. The uh, official counter, <laughs> though, is w- the official counter just to keep track. It's not Wait, official. Carson, what are you majority. drinking? A rock star. Oh, a rock star. I got a whole thing free of them. So I was like, why not? Oh, I'm drinking. I'm drinking like a full on like white claw surge right now, which is an 8% white claw. Ooh. Um, yeah. For people at home who are needing to get through a Charlie Chaplin movie. <laughs> um, to get the official kids. count is like from me. I'm the ruler of this segment. The official count is oh. I liked our hospitality better. So yeah, it was one off. zero Keaton. Calm. Yeah. Why are you telling me to fuck off? I'm just saying that. <laughs> I thought you were going to twist my words. You're kind of shifty. <laughs> okay. Well. <laughs> um, Trust issues that Clapper has. Or is it chat? Yeah, no. Wins, also, also um, I, will say, I will say that, Carson, you like might have been able to win me over except for this is a tramp movie and it's the circus, which the circus is my least favorite part thing in the world. Um, so I didn't, couldn't win you over. No, you could have. Um, it's oh. just like, I'm just saying like, if you had chosen like a different movie, because we if like- it, chose- If I didn't mess up the dates, right? You yeah. would have liked the gold rush over this. Uh, that actually would be a tight one. Um, although I think the next one that we're doing for Keaton um, is kind of supposed to be fire. Like this is- our hospitality and um, the circus are kind of like the lowest rated of both yeah. of their um, uh, oeuvres. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to go up against like good ones. The game movies. I will so say, what quickly, are we doing next week, friends? Well, before we could do that, we should be very clear that our counter is not a, like, if it, even if it's 4 0, that's not technically official. At the end of this whole series, we're going to have a final conversation and make our final votes. Like, I just want to be clear to that to everyone. Mm-hmm. So, Chaplin <laughs> fans, really- the hope is still there. <laughs> when we lose 4 0. When we lose 4 0. We're out of 1 nothing so far. We'll see what happens throughout the rest of November. But yeah. And like what are 1 we doing nothing. Next week? Like, we've done 1. Of course, it's going to be yeah. a nothing. It's okay. Um, I picked Keaton to get the tip off. I want a three points, whatever, on Chaplin. I don't know. I'm cut gems terms. I'm sure. That was not good. I'm going to cut that out because it was unfunny. I want Chaplin on points and rebounds. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, uh, so for mine, I'm going to pick the gold rush. It was probably, it was originally going to be the opening, but I got the dates mixed up. Um, it's good. You know, he goes on a gold rush. He goes to the gold <laughs> rush. Um, what year is it, Carson? 1925, but it got a re-release, cool. I believe in the forties with a new soundtrack, but it's the same movie. Okay. So uh, I, as consistent listeners would know, have a, uh, you know, huge boner for rich people. So my next one is another one (laughs) about rich people. Uh, It's called The Navigator. um, And it's from 1924 and was in uh, 2018 put into the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Okay, like there's so many films in the National Film Registry, though. You know so. what? what year was it? <laughs> 2018. Hold on, let me see if the Gold Rush was put in earlier. 
Uh, <laughs> sure, it was in, sure, like... in 1992, everyone. That's how much more the United States values the gold rush over this film. Oh, yeah, but I, like, I, I even know that the gold rush, although the navigator, it does look pretty fun. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. It does. Cool. Well, let's end this episode how we always do by giving our recommendations for the week. I can start us off. Um, I, I didn't really see anything this week that was that stunning. So I'm going to go back in time to, I want to say Tribeca. I think it was Tribeca. I saw the documentary, All the Streets Are Silent, The Convergence of Hip Hop and Skateboarding in 1987 to 1997. Basically, this is a documentary telling the story of the rise of hip hop and skateboarding in New York City um, during the years mentioned. And I expected nothing from this because I've never even been in New York City. I don't skateboard. I'm not necessarily, let's say, into hip hop. But this was such an infectious documentary. Um, it does such a good job building the style and the personality of the city at the time where I really was genuinely quite, I wouldn't say floored by it, but I was just really impressed by it. Um, and I think everyone right now is creating their lists of like, oh, what do I need to catch up on from the year? And if someone really wants to catch up on like a great documentary, I think this one deserves it. It really like did a lot for me when I was expecting nothing. And I guess that's really all you can ask for from film. Paul, what's your recommendation this week? Um, I'm going to go with uh, actually talking about Until Dawn. Um, they just released a new game, part of their, so they're doing a thing called the Dark Pictures Anthology, which is like short horror films um, where you play through them they're like three hours long. Um, but what's really cool about the uh, Dark Pictures Anthology and just what Supermassive Games is doing in general is they're story driven and all of the characters could survive. So, you know, when you watch a horror movie for the first time, you're like, oh, okay, this character dies. I don't really have to connect with them if you're watching it again. Um, you know, when you're playing this game, literally there is a way for everyone to survive. So when someone dies, it's like gut-wrenching. It's really upsetting to you because you're like, fuck, that was me. I made the mistake and that was um, the issue. So the, the newest one is called House of Ashes. Um, it's really fun. I'm really enjoying it. Um, but they always have like one big star. Um, last one was Will Poulter. Uh, this time it's Ashley Tisdale. Uh, it's just, it's really silly and they're a good time. I might have checked it out because I do love an Ashley Tisdale moment. Alina, what's your recommendation this week? Um, I'm going to recommend an actual movie this week. I watched this documentary called... Um, Sarin Atesh, Sex Revolution in Islam. And I thought that subtitle was really interesting and provocative as a fellow little Muslim girl. Um, and it's about this woman named Sarin Atesh. She's like Turkish. She, she's born in Turkey, but she lives in Germany now. And she is like the imam of her own mosque. And she's just like trying to revolutionize like islam and she's really fucking cool like her mosque doesn't have any like gender segregation she's like all about um the lgbt community within like islam like she's fucking cool as shit and like this is definitely like the kind the version of religion that i can like totally get behind because like i'm muslim and like my mosque is like pretty lit and chill 
um, because like I find culture specifically plays like a huge role in how like religion is like practiced and interpreted because I have like a lot of Muslim friends who are like from the Middle East and like South Asia and whatever and like the shit they tell me about their families I'm like yo what the fuck man but like because like my version of Islam that like is experienced in my family is so different so like just based on like my experiences growing up and like how my family like vibes to like god and whatever i just really connected with this lady and she's freaking cool as fuck she has like isis hates her al-qaeda hates her all the like radical muslims hate her so like she's one cool chick you should check her out i like her a lot it was a great film um and like it's also just like a really aesthetically pleasing documentary like it's a bio documentary but like it's freaking nice like I need to find the I can't remember the filmmaker who's behind it but apparently she's a lot of like other films about like women in Islam so like it's it's tight I really recommend it love that cool well that's gonna be it for this episode of Clappercast where can we find everyone on social media Paul at price like tag on Twitter and letterboxd Alina I am at Alina Paul on Twitter Instagram and letterboxd and you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews, Letterbox Carson Tamar. Thank you so much for listening. Send us an email at clappercast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Clapper Podcast. Make sure to like, give us five stars, rate, subscribe, whatever you do with podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema.